You gotta have a podcast. 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome back to You Gotta Have a Podcast. I'm Angela Palladino, and we're back from our mid-season break, in which I took a little break. And now we're back. (laughs) We're on to the second half of season one, and the conversation that I'm presenting to you today is one of my favorites because it's with one of my favorite people. Uh, She's a writer, comedian, host of the podcast Light Trees and News, and just a general badass, Allison Kilkenny. Um, Allison is a good friend of mine. We've collaborated on more sketch shows than I can count. She's one of the funniest and smartest people I know and is overall just a really good time. And this conversation was exactly that, sort of catching up with a friend and also talking about her very varied career and all the different sort of pivot moves that she's made along the way and and lessons that she's learned. Uh, So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Here is my chat with Allison Kilkenny. At least in in my experience, like nothing that ever eventually became my career was something I deliberately set out to do. And, yeah. and maybe it's just that way for the arts because it's so much about networking and finding any open path to make it work, you know? Mm-hmm. But truly nothing. I mean, even like... I, I didn't go to school for journalism mm-hmm. uh, and then I became a journalist. I, yeah. I didn't set out to have a comedy or a podcasting career, but that's what happened because those were the people I was meeting and those were the doors that were opening. And you like you figure out what you're good at as you go along. And now I have this weird niche brand where it's like political comedy, which I guess mm-hmm. isn't particularly rare these days but in 2008 when I was podcasting yeah it it was new and it was way easier to break in with a a new political comedy podcast I mean now like truly everybody has that podcast (laughs) but at the time it was like you know uh it, it was rarer so yeah but it, like you just fall ass backwards into it. And and also I'm hearing myself talk and I'm like, I, this is an incredibly privileged thing to, to say when you're just like, yeah, it just kind of happened, you know, like. Yeah, totally. But also it it's like a decades long process. It doesn't happen overnight. I've never been on like a 30 under 30 list, you know, <laughs> um, never, never like won prestigious awards or anything. But like, yeah, you just kind of. You keep evolving and you keep hustling. And I know that kind of advice sucks because people really want to believe there's like a magic bean Mm -hmm. type solution where it's like, no, tell me like the magic thing you bought or did or a magic networking thing you did. And it's like, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. You just keep hustling and you don't fucking give up and you get kicked in the throat a bunch of times and you just keep going. Yeah, I mean, it is so crazy because it's like that 
that sort of thing where like what I think there's a certain type of person and you strike me as one that's just like eh, I could fucking I would like fucking die if I had to spend my whole life just doing only the nine to five and not having any other creative pursuits so that you're just like fucking figure it out even if I have to cobble together this weird amalgamation of like 50 different <laughs> yeah side hustles that end up you know, one of them will eventually become the thing that like leads you down a path that then all of a sudden, you know, you have this like a podcasting career and this political comedy like niche that you never really thought. And next thing you fucking know, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I've been doing this for like almost 15 years. Yeah, I I was just <laughs> talking with someone about this the other day. There's something like pathologically wrong with me where like <laughs> I've had office jobs like I, yeah. I think almost everyone in the arts by by default unless you're a trust fund kid has mm -hmm. to get a daytime gig to like yeah. pay your rent you know especially when you're starting because nobody's gonna pay you well you know like unfortunately yeah. um, totally. and we don't live in a in a country with a universal basic income unfortunately <laughs> mm, so, uh, yeah, you have to get a day gig and there is something wrong with my brain. I think where I, I get so bored in a mm -hmm. nine to five job that I act out in weird ways, um, <laughs> become problem child. Yeah, I do weird shit. And I'm like, yeah, there's something wrong with me. I don't think like, and that's not to be like, I'm special and I can't do a nine to five. Like I'm, I'm saying this is a character flaw. Not that I'm too good for an office right. job. There's something, I have like a personality disorder or something where I, I get very bored. Um, so yeah, I, I always needed to have an outlet for that, whether it was, um, you know, I used to do jujitsu. I did a lot of different fighting, like Muay Thai, boxing, um, MMA, or like eventually comedy where it's like, I need... Same thing as jujitsu. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, I need like a, a weird uh, adrenaline uh, outlet for my, for my weirdness. Yeah, for sure. I mean... I kind of totally understand that. Like when I used to do, I, you know, freelance and production is my day job now when I'm not do, doing comedy stuff. But like when I used to work in a nine to five job, especially before I even did comedy, the first couple of years after college, I just worked a nine to five job and I didn't have any hobbies. Um, and all I would do would be like come up with ways to just do anything on company time that wasn't my actual work because it like made me feel this like yes that I was like not owned by the man or whatever I, I truly like the gig I had before uh everything went to hell and we went into lockdown mm -hmm. was I was a receptionist at like a major um like financial investment company and I would write reductress headlines all day. <laughs> but that's like, I needed to do something creative. I, I was also making extra money from reductress while I was at this soulless job where like mm -hmm. Goldman Sachs frat boys would come in and like have a 15 minute meeting doing shots of whiskey in our boardroom because they don't Ugh. fucking do any real work at all. Um and it's like I needed that job to pay my rent. Um, 
But yeah, I was also like, and I, I'll write comedy while I'm here, you know? Yeah, totally. And also like run into a boardroom and like interview for a writing <laughs> room job, you know, like whenever I happen to have those opportunities. But um, yeah, you just you do everything fucking at once. Yeah. I mean, I was like kind of thinking today, like one, well, a lot of things went away, obviously, this year. Um, and for me personally, a few things are starting to come back right now. And I just am like, all of, I had like nothing happening most of 2020. And then all of a sudden in the last month, I've had like three or four things pop up where I'm like, holy shit. I'm just like, I got to try to do everything because who knows when it could like go away at any moment in time. And it's sort of like that. I don't know. It's it's actually kind of a little bit. I feel a little bit excited right now because I'm just like, I got to do everything I can because this could all go away in a moment, even if it's something as silly as like doing this podcast for myself, really, because who else is this for? If not, but for only me, that's the only reason you should start a podcast uh, in this year. But um, even if something as silly as that, um, I had that like kind of like feeling like it was like when I first moved to New York and, you know, you like are out until like two in the morning every day and you're running around and doing every single thing for like no money and just like running yourself ragged because you're just so excited to be there. Is that crazy that no, I feel that no, way? No, not at all. I think that's great that like you can still find that hustle. I'm having a little bit of, um, it's interesting because, you know, nothing's happening and obviously I, I, I am working right now. I'm fortunate that I'm mm -hmm. working right now, but, um, because I'm alone a lot, I've had an opportunity to like focus on my mental health. Yes. And I'm realizing, um, I have periods of mania and when you were just talking about um, that nonstop hustle, I definitely had that like for a couple of years. I have like mm -hmm. long stretches of, yeah. of mania. And I've I, seen you do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> With, I, like sketch rehearsals and shows. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I famously do that. And like people <laughs> comment on it a lot where they're just like, man, you go and you go and you go. Uh and it's not that I have moments, uh, it's not like a manic depressive state. I, mm -hmm. I'm fortunate where I don't have long periods of depression. But what happens is I, I lose motivation and I'm a little bit like, why do anything? Like, yeah. wh what's the point? And Existentialism I won't be, or whatever. Yeah, it won't be like depressive. I'll just be like, why? Why? What? Why try? <laughs> um, and... Definitely what's happening in our world right now is feeding into that for me where it, yeah. it's like, um, why try? Because, um, I feel like our, God, I'm sorry if this is depressing, no, but please I, like our society, I think is unraveling in a very obvious way. And I don't think it's going to be, uh, fixed by an election. Mm -hmm, I agree. And I'm truly having conversations with some friends of mine who have like left the country to go to Australia. And they're mm -hmm. like, uh, you should leave the country as well and come to Australia. So like I'm yeah. having like crises like that. So when I think about stuff like my writing career, I of course want to have one and I want to work on a show very badly. And I want to be in a writer's room and all that stuff. That is still the goal. Mm hmm. 
But when I think about the state of the world, when I think about everything that's happening right now, when I think, you know, when you consider like over 200,000 people have died in this country, Mm -hmm. it's a little like why hustle like I was those years ago for so long, you know? I've definitely like felt that too, as far as being able, like just like having to slow down and like look around and like even feeling more human in the way that like I'm connecting with my friends and family more because it's like all I can do is talk to people on the phone or Zoom or whatever. Yeah. Like if you just like, like I just hung out with my parents the other day Mm -hmm. and they're both elderly now and like very slow and like, you know, um, they can just like sit and watch a movie and like not they're not on their phones. And I was just like hanging out with them and I was like, this is dope. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're not doing anything. I'm not like answering emails while I'm with them. And I was just like, this is great. I like this speed. I don't know if I want to go back to how shit was before. I mean, like, man, and you know, I'm bad, but you were like, a hustler too like we, <laughs> we did not stop like we were I yeah mean, you and I did a sketch show together we're like we're fucking crazy we're both crazy <laughs> you know like yeah I mean uh, I've like I think for me the excitement that I was talking about just now is like more so that I just have anything going on in my life for the last like couple of weeks yeah because truly like I had so much going on in my life for like six years while I was like running around New York doing comedy and and filmmaking and all everything I was fucking doing. And um, and then all of a sudden it was just gone, like puff, a puff of smoke. And then it was nice at first, uh, uh, you know, in, in a personal way to have like nothing to worry about other than constantly calling, uh, you know, unemployment and having, you know existential dread and panic attacks and listening to the sirens and everything. But like, then I just kind of like fell into this weird, like, like flat line of like the whole summer. I was like, I am worthless. I am not contributing anything to society. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Like Mm -hmm. our our self worth is so tied up in our productivity well, I think I just didn't even have like, I think I also was like worried about money too was the main thing. Oh yeah. Just on a practical level. It's like, yeah, bitch, I got to pay my rent. Yeah. But there is this other level to it where it's like, you got to have the bare minimum requirements, right? Like I got to buy food. I got to pay my rent. But mm-hmm. then there's this other level where it's like, and I need to have prestigious things happening to me or mm-hmm. I have no worth. And it's yeah. sort of like that that's all tied up into like how capitalism has convinced us that if we're not constantly producing, we're worthless. Mm-hmm. And I know that. <laughs> and I still fucking have it in my head where mm-hmm. like I I know a lot of very wildly talented people who have gotten hired onto shows and they are all very deserving. And I, I'm glad I don't have that type of personality where I'm like, me, they don't deserve it. You know, mm-hmm. truly everyone I know that has gotten something big, I, almost to the last person, I'm like, they deserve it. They, mm-hmm. they work hard or they're wildly talented. I'm happy for them. But, you know, I do still have that in my head where I'm like, I, 
believe I should achieve certain things. And if I haven't achieved those things, I feel bad about myself. Yeah. Um, and, but I also have that part of my brain that's like, um, uh, the world's ending. None of this actually matters. Uh, mm-hmm. we are all carbon based life forms who die. <laughs> um, you shouldn't care about this stuff. You should go to the park with your friends and hang out all day. And if you don't submit five writing packets, it doesn't mean you're worthless, you know? Yeah. I think, like, we're all f- emotionally scarred from, like, just people, like, teachers or m- mentors or other people in the industry. Like, especially, I feel like, the entertainment industry and probably also journalism, too. Anything where you're, like, really judged by your output, like, things yeah. that have your name or your byline on it. Like, you, it, it's so, like comparative like your like your peers are also your peers are people above you or like other people in the industry it's always there's just like a this this way of comparing yourself like not even necessarily the quality or caliber of your work because i think you can compare that sometimes but like just the general output yeah like that's the thing like we not only are we surrounded by like wildly talented comedians and writers mm -hmm. and artists we live in New York City, uh, so we're just surrounded by the most talented people who never fucking stop. Mm-hmm. And that's that's our social circle. So, mm-hmm. like, we we put a lot of value on that, too, where it's like, are you grinding? Are you grinding? Are you grinding? Well, if you're not grinding, you're worthless, you know? Yeah. Um, so we have, like, immersed ourselves in a culture that is just primed to have, like, highly competitive, high quality, nonstop hustlers. And we physically couldn't stop. And then we had to stop. So I think for a lot of people mentally, that was incredibly jarring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's so interesting how like I really fully don't understand yet how I've even personally dealt with it because it's kind of a mystery to me. I'm just like, you know, I think everyone is just trying to get through every day the best they can. <laughs> but but like it is like interesting to see the way that like some people immediately pivoted and started hosting Zoom shows. <laughs> and yeah. my immediate reaction was like, I think I'm done performing, which isn't necessarily true. But I was just like, I could be bothered. Like I couldn't want to do a zoom show less you know i know it was it's shitty too because i like i started to dabble in stand-up before Mm -hmm. everything went to hell and i was genuinely enjoying it and Mm -hmm. now i just feel like i mean obviously if and when there are mics again i'll i'll in shows i'll do them but right yeah it it was weird where i was like oh at last i get a break but then I also was like, ah, fuck, you know, like because you you felt like you found like a new fun thing and you were getting a little momentum with it. Yeah. And yeah, it's like I can't just let my brain recover, you know, I'm just like on to the next thing, on to the next thing. And now it's been long mm-hmm. enough where I was just thinking about this the other day. I'm like, man, when I have to go back to a semi-normal routine, that's going to be a huge Uh, adjustment. Like, I haven't been on a subway since March. 
Yeah, me neither. Yeah, like that's going to be fucking weird to have like a commute again, to be going to like, I mean, God, you know, like knock on wood, I hope theaters will be open again and stuff like that. Uh Um, But it's going to be weird to like go to shows again and be around people when there's like a vaccine. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a a strange new world. Something that I used to be used to, like a 12 or a 14 hour day, which very standard in like production. I was like used to that. I had the stamina. I cannot tell you how wiped and how exhausted I was after. I can't imagine. When you were texting us and you were like, I'm still on set. I was like, (laughs) I would be dead. I would be dead in a corner. Yeah, that was a 17 hour day. And I think I did die at a moment. And I like just fully left my body and was oh like, God. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Will. But like, I can't like, when I think about my old schedule where it was like, you would go to your day job and then I would like go to Herald night at UCB. And then I would go to like a fucking show after that. And I'm just like, how did mm-hmm. I do all of that shit? In addition to like being on the subway and like dealing with New York city's manic energy where it's like, uh, just yeah. assuming you're going to die at any moment, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, just like how mentally taxing that is. I don't know. It's made me like reevaluate how I live my life, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm still like mostly I'm really excited to be working for the for the money part right now and to have a little bit of something to occupy my mind so I can at least be distracted from Twitter or the news or the world for little bits of the day when I'm like writing emails oh or whatever God. the fuck. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything to get off Twitter, even for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I wonder like, what was like someone telling us we had to do that? I, I guess like, are we we're just telling ourselves or maybe it's that whole, you know, capitalism, American dream thing. Like if you work hard enough, you will get what you want. So just work hard until you basically almost die. And then. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think it's partly that. It's also, though, I think that I feel really in, uh, fortunate that I was part of the UCB community, not because of UCB, which is an incredibly problematic institution that is uh, no longer uh, with us, but the most talented people were at UCB, in my opinion. You know, like the the funniest, smartest, uh, some of the nicest people, performers. Um, I'm really glad that I was a part of that community uh, I was also very lucky that I got put on um, a, a great, great Herald team with lovely people. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, you know, they were like very inspirational yeah. because it was like um, all very talented people who were working very hard. So that motivates you, you know, and uh, you and I were on a sketch team together with uh, incredibly talented actors and writers. And you hear about stuff they're doing and stuff mm-hmm. they're submitting for. And it's like, oh, cool. I want to do that. So it's not necessarily always toxic, like you're competing with these people. But I also just found the community very inspirational. Like it made me want to mm-hmm. be doing stuff mm-hmm. and making stuff like I wanted to make dope shit with people, you know, Um, Because it feels good. It feels good to make funny things with funny, talented people. So that was also a motivation where it's like, I want to be doing this. I want to be a part of this world. So it wasn't always like um, this like psychotic need to achieve 
stuff. It was also just like, I have a cool idea for a sketch and I would like to film it with you guys. Yeah. Um, and we have access to really talented people who can act in it and, and shoot the video and edit the video and do sound for the video. And, you know, we have those resources. So it was like, man, we'd be dumb not to be making dope shit. Yeah. I mean, I think the UCB community as an example is a really interesting example because I do think that there's like a dual, like it is like a, a there's two sides to that coin. One is like 95%, 99% of the people that I met there are incredible friends of mine who I would like so inspired by and love working with. And obviously there's going to be a few bad apples here and there, but the same time, like the way that the place was structured, um, especially in terms of like diversity or like uh, the the way that they like graded comedy in, in a way that was <laughs> yeah. like who decided uh-huh. that you um, I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. That like had this weird impact on the culture that I think also like I, I know personally brain fucked me for a lot of years until I just realized that I could still work with all the people there, but I didn't have to do it necessarily within the the like the the parameters of like that ladder. Yeah, that's a great point because there were so many <laughs> I could name like 30 really talented people who never got on a house team and like that shit doesn't mean anything and it doesn't yeah. it, it didn't mean you were funny, it didn't mean you weren't funny, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and auditions and stuff like that there were like a lot of toxic elements to the school and to the theater that I think, yeah, as you were saying, like probably convinced some very funny people that they didn't belong and they weren't funny. And that fucking sucks because that's not what that meant. But as you were saying, if you could still use the community and Mm -hmm. still like find inspiration from the community, even if you didn't necessarily feel like you got like that institutional approval, which means nothing. Mm -hmm. Especially now that the institution doesn't exist. Now it never meant anything, but now it's like this, it doesn't exist. So like, what, what did you achieve? It's like, well, for me, what I achieved is I still have that community. I -hmm. still know all those people. Um, it was still a great opportunity to like be around funny, supportive, kind creatives Mm -hmm. and just have that access to that pool, you know, where it's like, I think one of the the things that is really challenging if you're a creative person is finding a community like that. Yeah. Cause we, we creative types really feed off that hive mind, you know? Mm Um, unless you're like the figure of like the tragic isolated author or something and you, (laughs) you need to just be like in a cabin in the woods, but like collaborative types. Oh yeah. I, I, you know, I host a podcast and a lot of like creative people listen to the show and that's like one of the main questions. It's like, how do I find my people? How do I find my tribe? And Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for so many people it was when you move to New York city and you go to UCB, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it was that, that was the story for so many years for so many different types of creatives Mm -hmm. because it was just this dope built in club that would charge you hundreds of dollars (laughs) to take classes, you know? Um, so like, you know, privilege, 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 but, um, yeah, I I still maintain that that was like a good thing. Yeah, 
I think a net good with a lot of caveats, obviously, but a ton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in some of my my best memories of doing things at UCB and at the theater, which I was, you know, did shit there for like five years, but I was never on a house team. But some of my best memories were, for example, like when we were. We spent almost a fucking whole year putting together <sighs> that sketch show that will never. <laughs> no one will ever see it. see it. We did our tech like right before <laughs> fucking lockdown. Whatever. It's, it was that was a good fucking show. We had fun. It was very stressful, but we yeah. pulled I it mean, together. We, we did do it once in September. That was great. And like, yeah, Um. But like working with like everyone that was involved in the production of that show, which we had a pretty big group of people. We had like eight (laughs) people. Too big. That was my ballot. (laughs) Some might say the cast was too big. Um, (laughs) Most would say the cast was too big. (laughs) Uh, um, But like all those people were people that I had met through the UCB community who maybe hadn't known each other all like I know like yeah maybe you didn't know John Hudson before no or and that was a really interesting example where like um the artistic director watched our show and gave notes and <laughs> I could tell from his notes um one of his favorite parts of the show is this guy John John Hudson who is incredibly talented mm-hmm. um I didn't know John before that show because he wasn't one of like I think it's yeah. fair to say like a UCB star. He was just like a creative person who did stuff at UCB. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this dude's fucking hilarious. He's so talented. And that's when it's like, yeah, the the UCB brand of approval doesn't make you funny or or the lack of a uh, stamp of approval doesn't make you unfunny. It's just this was a stage that you know, a lot of different people could access. And then mm-hmm. I got to see John and I was like, this dude's great. He's so fucking yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was because he, John was uh, a one of the, like an example of he, him and I were in 201 and 301 together, I think. And oh, okay. um, way back in the day in like 2014, which is not that far long ago, but yeah. um, uh, and then like he did like, he finished the, the uh, Tafora one, I think he did like one Ash or something, and then he was just like, "I'm gonna go do alt comedy in Brooklyn and like how yeah. to get an independent sketch team that did like Montreal Sketch Fest a bunch of times. They did a bunch of sketch festivals. They played at colleges, but it was like it was just like, like doing his own part thing. Of me, yeah, and part of me is so envious. And so respect someone like that who's like, mm-hmm. I don't need the institutional approval. I'm just going to go do my own fucking thing. Like you're another example of that where it's like, I never, in my head, you you are synonymous with UCB because obviously I I did stuff with you at UCB, but like I don't make that distinction of like you and John are not UCB people. Yeah. Because I'm like, you're funny and you're talented and you're successful anytime you attempt anything. So like in my head, you are that that level, you know? Yeah. Also, I hung around enough that like people could. <laughs> I think eventually, like once you're just around long enough, they're like, wait, aren't you on? Are you on characters? Welcome now. And I'm like, no. Yeah. You, you do sort of lose track of like, who does what. It's like I've definitely seen you at the theater. I think it's also just that my distinction wasn't UCB or non UCB. It was always comedy or not comedy. Yeah, that's so. A good point. Like, 
you know, like I, I knew people who just did magnet stuff, who just mm-hmm. did pit stuff. And I was never like, you're not a UCB person. So I yeah. don't value you or respect you. I was just like, <laughs> you're one of the funny people. Like, and that's a healthy yeah, way yeah, of looking at it. We speak the same language. <laughs> yeah. That's the healthy way to view because it. Because I, I wasn't at UCB a, a long time. I like, I pretty much like flew through the curriculum in like two years. Yeah. So maybe it was just that I wasn't there long enough to get fully brainwashed. But, you know, like also uh, (laughs) I was an intern. I was on a house team. So like I was in deep when I was there, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm actually kind of interested to know, like when you were first starting to do performative stuff, I guess probably in the was it like with the realm of podcasts or were you doing like things like before that? Or is that sort of the first stuff that you like really focused on was podcasting when you first started? Okay. So this is so weird, this, this timeline. Mm -hmm. So I had a show at UCB Mm -hmm. before I ever did improv comedy. Right. It was, uh, it was like a talk based show, like a talk show, right? Yes. So it was basically, we did the podcast live at the UCB theater because the the artistic director at the time, Anthony King, was a a fan of the the show. Mm Mm-hmm. So we were like, hey, can we do it live? And we'll bring huge guests. Huge. Yeah. Like Sarah Silverman, Matt Taibbi. Like we'll we'll yeah. we'll pack it out because we didn't believe that our audience would show up. So we were like, oh, they'll show up for Sarah Silverman. And mm-hmm. it turns out it was like a mix of both, where it was yeah. like our little fans did turn out, but also you want to see Sarah Silverman. So yeah. like people showed up for that too. Um you know, like we'll have uh, Regina Spector as a musical guest. Please come, you know, <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. Um, <laughs> and the shows were dope and mm-hmm. they were all sold out and it was like, cool, cool, cool. So what ended up happening was um, because we had the show at UCB, a lot of improvisers came onto the show and by default, I was sort of like uh, the the journalist on the show, but mm-hmm. because there were like funny people, like funny, very quick people on the show, I sort of like got a crash course in improv. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like we had had, uh, I remember this, we had had Lydia Hensler, who is oh, an incredibly her. funny, talented comedian from UCB on the show a bunch as a guest. Mm -hmm. And by the time I finally got around to, I was like, you know what? Let me actually get my foundational education in improv. And I signed up for UCB classes. I'll Mm -hmm. never forget. I had Lydia for, uh, I think it was 201. And the first day she came in and she saw me and she just went, what are you doing? And I I was like, I don't know how to do improv, Lydia. And she was just like, what? Like, I was like, I don't actually know how to do improv. (laughs) So I, it was a very like flipped timeline of how I did it, but then, yeah, yeah went through the whole curriculum, uh, started performing at UCB. Um, and yeah, I mean the, the podcasting got me ready for improv because mm-hmm. that is essentially what you're doing on a, on a podcast. It was yeah. for, for me, it was just like, my words were always there. I just had to get like comfortable with the physicality of, of being on a stage and stuff like that. Um, and there are so many wonderful theater performers at UCB, like singers and dancers and like 
dramatic actors that Mm -hmm. that was all really new for me where I was like, I have the thinking stuff down and I'm good at writing, but yeah, uh, the physicality of it was really interesting to to learn. That's so interesting because I feel like a completely different set of circumstances, but I, I feel like like the touch points are similar. Like I came in to UCB. I had done improv a little bit in high school, like we had an after school club, but I came into UCB as a writer first and I was like a a communications major in college, but that in my college, like university meant like literally I mostly took public speaking classes and like, so I was really good at orating and being witty and like I could write, uh, but my same thing, like my physicality was like really lacking and that was like always my notes and everything I was trying to work on and develop was like that sort of stuff more. And then I would do scenes with people or I would just go and watch my friends perform and just be like blown away by like the level of of like talent and natural like in their bodiness some people would have it's a separate set of skills Mm -hmm. man I uh I had a teammate uh Stacey Hayashi who Mm -hmm. uh sadly passed away but she was one of the most brilliant uh, nonverbal comedians. She, yes. uh, she did a lot of clowning yeah. and she could, cru- I mean, just absolutely crush in front of hundreds of people non-verbally. Oh and yeah. And I am the opposite type of performer. I need to <laughs> talk my way into a joke and then just keep talking until you like me. Um, and she was always hugely inspirational for me because it is a complete, completely separate set of skills to be able mm-hmm. to do that. And she was a fucking genius at it. Yeah. Like, I'll never forget watching her. Um, man, yeah, she was, she was so great, but circling back to what you were saying. Um, and this sort of goes back to, to what we were saying about how you just sometimes fall ass backwards into stuff. Mm-hmm. I really thought I was going to be a writer at UCB. I was like, I'm going to get on mod night as a writer uh, I'm going to, that's just going to be my bag. And mm-hmm. that ended up not happening. And it's not that I, I, I did well at sketch and I went through that whole curriculum, mm-hmm. but, um, I really started to pop off with improv and that's when I was like, Oh shit, am I going to do improv instead? But that was not the plan. Yeah. I mean, I, but then I guess, you know, I will say to your credit, you're an incredible writer. You know that I don't have to tell you, oh, but thanks. And you, you do did end up like going in different avenues as far as like uh, writing, eventually writing for Boogie Manja, even though you started there as a performer or like writing spanks, you've done multiple spanks, like things like that. So um, it is interesting how that trajectory, I think that one of the, the unfortunate things was like with UCB in general, not that unfortunate, I guess it's a good problem to have, but there was just so many talented people and just not enough stage. Like, yeah, I mean, that was that was a huge problem. Like when you we would do the math sometimes during auditions where it was like, okay, so 800 people are auditioning for what, 40 spots. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Like mathematically, that's insane. Like how many funny people aren't going to get on this team just because math? Yeah. Um, Which is what you always tell yourself. So you don't feel bad when you don't get on a team. Yeah. being on the other end of it, seeing how many funny people didn't get on a team, I was like, this is 
bullshit. Like it's really bullshit. And it makes me very sad that some people might have like lost hope and quit comedy because of that. Yeah. Because it's like that truly means nothing. And it it's not reflective of your value at all. And mm-hmm. I try to remember that like in my own life when like trying to get staffed as a writer, you know, and, mm-hmm. and not getting a writing job you really wanted. And it's like, I try to remember the math part of it where it's like, it doesn't mean I'm bad. It doesn't mean I'm not talented. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I would have absolutely, I wouldn't have absolutely, you know, killed in that position. Um, it's just, sometimes it's right time, right place who, you know, mm-hmm. all that shit, you know? Yeah. That's one of the things it's like, there's so many pieces of advice that people can give you for like you have to do all these sorts of different things and that's what's going to get you ahead. But I think maybe the best piece of advice that I've learned, like, yeah, I can go pay thousands of dollars for UCB classes and never get on a house team or I can pay a couple hundred dollars for a commercial acting workshop and never book a commercial or like I can write my own pilot or whatever it is, write my writing sample, my packet, work on that stuff and have my little like pocket, my wallet full of like these like different calling cards. And then when the opportunity, hopefully at any point, you never know when it's going to come. If an opportunity presents yourself, you're just prepared and you have that thing. I think that's maybe the like I mean, this podcast is supposed to be about bad advice and all the bullshit that people tell you, but that's kind of like maybe the <laughs> best thing that I've learned is like, just, just have like whatever you, you can have like yeah, ready well, in advance, I'll, I'll, do it. I'll take that very good advice, which is a hundred percent true. You should be ready. You should have your pack ready. You should have your samples ready always. Mm-hmm. And you should also have like, um, I got advice once that you should have this sounds insane but it actually is true you should have uh samples ready for like different types of networks mm-hmm. so like you should have your abc family comedy you should have your edgy fx pilot you know like mm-hmm. just be prepared for everything um that sounds insane and when someone told me that i was like uh fuck yourself because <laughs> that sounds incredibly hard it's a lot um, of time and effort. <laughs> and it is. Guess what? That's what writing is. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of time and effort and a lot of bullshit hours that you're like, nobody's ever going to see this. And like, you're probably right. But <laughs> if somebody suddenly is like, let me see, do you have like an, an FX pilot? And oh my God, if you do, then you look like you're so incredibly on your game that it's like impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll use that very good advice to... Um, pivot into uh, shitty advice, which I <laughs> have successfully ignored um, through a combination of um, stubbornness and ineptitude. <laughs> the best of type of years. combo. <laughs> yeah. Which is everybody says you need a writing agent and I don't have a writing agent uh-huh. and any work I've ever gotten has been through other artists. Yeah. Um, anything I've ever gotten has been through other artists. And again, that's through a combination of, um, I, I'm very, um, left wing politically. Mm-hmm. So early in my career, when I was like a political pundit and I would go on MSNBC and stuff, mm-hmm. um, 
I was considered uh, a little bit, uh, how you say, controversial. Uh. So there was a little bit of like, you know, eye rolling early on of like, oh, she's a lefty. Mm -hmm. Um, We couldn't like have her on as any kind of like regular pundit or anything like that. Um, So they would just like bring me on to uh, my beat at the time was covering Occupy Wall Street. Mm hmm for the nation. So they would bring me on and like talk about Occupy Wall Street, but like it was very like niche like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But truly anything I got was through like, for example, there was a a woman named Sarah Knight who actually has gone on to be a a very successful author herself, but Mm -hmm. she was a fan of our show and worked at Simon and Schuster. And she was like, I want to pitch you guys for a book deal. Yeah. Didn't have a manager, didn't have an agent to negotiate that. We we truly had to just like send the Simon and Schuster contract to like a lawyer friend of ours to look it over just to make sure we weren't getting fucked, you know? Yeah. Um but like that's just one example. But like truly anytime I've got a writing job, it's because another writer sent me the packet. Mm-hmm. Uh anytime I got a comedy gig, it was cuz a comic recommended me for it Mm -hmm. i've never had an agent and every step of the way people have been like do you have an agent yet do you have an agent yet and i'm like that is not a a sign of success yeah they take a cut of your fucking pay Mm -hmm. and they probably won't get you as much work as if you as much as you uh if you surround yourself with artists who um, are like a supportive network who Mm -hmm. will just like recommend you for shit, you know? Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I spent literally three years where I'm, I'm like the kind of nerd that at the beginning of every year, I write a list of like loose goals that I will, will work, do like smaller steps to work toward work toward. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, a couple of years in a row up until literally last year, the top of that list is like, get an agent. Yeah. I spent so much money doing showcases, so many different things and sending out my pilots to writing agents and things like that. And I was so frustrated and so mad and felt so useless because it wasn't working. And I was trying so, so hard to the point where it was like kind of gross how hard I was trying. and. As soon as I fu- was like, fuck this, I don't want an agent anyway, uh, like I started getting work necessarily. Yeah. And then the weird random fucking cosmic story of my VO agent where literally I was doing my day job producing branded content <laughs> right. for for like a children's toy. It was like literally an Internet video for a children's toy. The, the agent of like the person who some person who was trying to audition for that called me because my number was on the casting call and wanted to talk to me about their client. And then like randomly they were like, you have a great telephone voice. Do you do VO? And I was like, OK, no, but I can. <laughs> you do have a great voice, which is it's so crazy to me that that's how it had to happen. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, you you totally have a great VO voice. But it was like not something I ever like because no. that's totally different because I've always been trying to get a, an acting agent or a writing agent, never really trying to get a VO agent. 
But that's just another example of like the ass backwards moments, right? Yeah. Where it's like, and it's not that it, it, to a certain degree, it is that you are just consistently putting yourself out there. And if you do that enough, those, those doors will weirdly randomly open like that. And I'm always really, I know I've prefaced this a bunch, but I, I just want to be very cautious when I'm talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is like inherent privilege. Absolutely. And, and I want to be very careful where I'm just like, it'll just magically happen like that. It's like, I know there are so many obstacles for so many people, mm-hmm. you know, like um, racism, for example, that would prevent something like that from happening. So like, I yeah. want to be very... Uh, Completely agree. Preface the shit out of it. But um, yeah, like there are these weird examples that if like you were just, if your output is really high weird shit like that will happen that you didn't Mm -hmm. anticipate but if you're open to it might lead to cool shit that yeah that might not be a part of like your vision board but like how cool is it now that you have a fucking vo agent yeah it's it's totally kind of random and like weird in that way so like Weirdly, I was talking to Steve Genty recently and he was you know we were talking about how he's been like putting out so much stuff during quarantine and how all of a sudden he's been like just busy, like collabing with people and doing all these different things and like in, in, in getting work and like starting a podcast and all this stuff that he's been doing. And he was just like, I just like because I just haven't stopped putting out videos. Yeah. And, and it's Steve, finally starting to pay back. Steve is a great example of that where it's like he's so fucking good and talented. Yeah. But I would struggle to think of anybody who has more hustle than Steve. Mm -hmm. And it's like the output is really high and the quality is stellar. And like for me, like when I watch somebody like Steve, I'm like, okay, so we are just like counting down until you fucking explode. Right. Yeah. Like he is going to be huge because I like Steve's so talented. I'm like, it's in my head, it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. But like, I know it's not, you know, like I know yeah. it's, it's that he's grinding that the, the quality of the content is so high, but like, yeah, I mean, like Steve like doesn't stop. Like anytime I'm on Instagram, I'm just like, oh, you've made another incredible thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> truly that like there have been many days this year where I've like opened up Instagram and everyone shared his new video and I'm like. Wow. (laughs) I know. And like, but it's weird. It's that thing again where I'm like, it's, it's inspirational because it's like, yeah, we like, we hang out like with people like Steve and it's like, man, like that, how can you not be motivated to, to make some dope shit? Yeah. And like, I think these barriers that get put in place, like, especially when it comes to privilege, one thing about like, the community, the comedy community in New York, or at least like sort of the alt comedy community, which I guess we're more in, like, because some people say comedy community, they mean like the clubs in Greenwich Village, which is not what I mean. Yeah, but stand like, up New York. Yeah, <laughs> yeah truly, <laughs> going to the Laugh Factory. The cellar. Uh, Let's just name comedy venues for the, <laughs> the rest of the show. <laughs> um, what, what the fuck was I saying? Oh, but like in the community, it's like uh, that idea of hopefully if you're a good person and you are talented and you see yourself surrounded by other talented people, you use your, your hustle and your opportunities that you're creating for yourself to also offer opportunities to 
uh, people that you see that are hustling that maybe might like, for example, like if you are someone who can afford to fund their own web series, like, and you want to make a web series and you have money to do it for whatever reason, or perhaps you even crowdfunded it, like you should be using that project to at least like lift up the people in your community and people around you to like yeah. give them opportunities. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I think um, the best advice I ever got from a journalist actually uh, was a journalist told me really early on in my career, it's not a zero sum game. Yeah. Um, and if you, if I get something, it doesn't mean you didn't get the thing. Mm -hmm. And if you get something, it doesn't mean I didn't get the thing. And I was like, oh shit. And it was just like one of those moments where I like completely shifted my worldview. Yeah. Where it's like, if you get a writing job, it doesn't mean you took that job from me. Yeah. And there's another writing job out there for me. And when I get that, I didn't take it from you. And yeah. we can all rise together. And like, it's so, it's such a weird mind, foreign mindset to me to not be happy for people when they get shit. Yeah. I mean, every single time I see one of our friends get staffed somewhere, I'm so fucking stoked. I'm so pumped. But like also circling back to what you said before, like it it's also such a foreign mindset to think like, yeah, if I if I had resources, if I let's imagine a world where I have resources. Right. To like not share them with people. That's the thing that I don't understand. And well, I guess I do understand it. It's selfishness <laughs> but oh yeah and but it, like you know what it is also it's it's always the people who have the most who cling to it the most selfishly mm -hmm. you know like yeah. i've never ever ever had that happen with somebody who grew up poor the exactly people, the people who grow grew up poor will give you their their last 20 dollars every single time mm -hmm. meanwhile if you go out to brunch with your rich friend they will absolutely venmo you for that two dollars uh, every time they they want from you yeah yeah. like yeah they, they'll get their money but yep. yeah i i do think if you grew up um maybe not even poor but like you know you you had both your parents worked you know yeah you just you uh, appreciate stuff like that way more and um cling to it a little less selfishly if you do have an opportunity where it's like, oh, I could potentially share the wealth right now. Yeah. I mean, I think it also comes down to like, I mean, just straight right back to privilege where it's like uh, if you grow up with everything that you could possibly ever want and or, you know, whatever, if you grow up so comfortable that you've never had to like think about money or whatever it is then you're just like, well, I deserve this and this is the way it is and why would I share? It's like, it's just like, why would I give back? Because, you know, I don't know if I'm, we're just getting into too generalistic territory maybe, but <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like if you, if you grow up having to like understand what it might mean to have less than other people do, then you're like, well, if I do get a little bit of something, I'm going to use that to like lift up other people if I can. Yeah, and it is that attitude of like, thinking you are owed 
Yes. We're yeah. like, I, so on my podcast, I pay my co-hosts because that's the morally correct thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because my, and I'm not like trying to out anybody right now and I don't have shitty people on my show. So like everyone has, no one has responded badly, but, mm-hmm. uh, my friends who co-host on the show who grew up poor, fought me when I tried to start paying them, like Mm -hmm. fought me, like tried to send the money back, said, absolutely not. I don't want your money. Mm -hmm. And then I have a couple co-hosts who like grew up with a little money and they just took it and didn't say anything. (laughs) And I I didn't want them to fight me. I want to pay my co-host, but it was interesting because it was like, oh, right. Because you just assume you're owed it. And my friends who grew up poor were a little more like, they don't think that they're owed it, which isn't correct. You're absolutely owed it. You did an hour's worth of work. You should be compensated. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's just interesting, the different mindset. Yeah. And I think I think that like, actually, I was talking to to Tracy Soren about this the other day, like when you because like her and I both started out just like churning out sketch videos with our friends, like putting out I put out like 30 sketch videos in 2015. Like, oh my God. Just like so many. And like I was doing that because I wanted to get better at sketch and wanted yeah. to get better at making videos. And I had a bunch of friends who wanted to do the same thing like and wanted stuff for their reel. And so we were all just kind of doing it because we loved it and it was fun. But then it got to a certain point where like, Oh, well, we couldn't find a different DP. So we're asking like a DP who we don't really know that well. Mm, yeah. And if they wouldn't mind shooting it. And it's like, that's in the point where it's like, if you do have the money at that point, you need to start paying these people because it yes. only works when it's mutually beneficial. Yeah. There, there is a little bit of an understanding. Like I early on, uh, when I was brand new at UCB, I, uh, filmed a horror short that mm-hmm. actually just got into the New York City Web Fest, which is cool. But congrats. I, thank you. Uh, we filmed it like two years ago. Uh, Tessa Hirsch is in it. She's great. She was on Mod Night at UCB. Yeah. Uh, great actress. Very funny. Um, but uh, I had no money. Like truly everything I, I raised the money for on my Patreon went to production costs. Mm-hmm. But even in that case, I couldn't pay the director or or uh, the DP or mm-hmm. any of the actors. But I was like, let me buy lunch for yeah. everybody. Just whatever you can it's, do. And you always got to buy lunch. <laughs> you got to buy lunch. And people won't be dicks about it because yeah. they're very understanding. Uh, all the actors were from UCB. Everybody understood. And they... Mm-hmm. They were cool about it if you show a little bit of effort, you know? Yeah. And I apologize profusely because every single person on that set deserved to be paid, but I am but one humble woman and I had no money, but yeah. I think like, especially if you're upfront about it, like, listen, this is a passion project and I have no money, but like, I'll provide lunch, I'll pay for your Uber or whatever it is. I think people are generally understanding because then they they always you always put in the caveat like and I totally understand if like 
the fact that I can't pay you a wage is a deal breaker. But like, yes, totally. And and as you said, the second you have the means, you absolutely have to pay people. <laughs> the key word is I like, yeah, like can't pay you. Like if you physically don't have it, like <laughs> that, like especially for passion projects, like listen, I've done stuff where people are like, hey, I'm I got like a budget for a video for funny or die. Can you direct it? for no money and I'm like that's no crazy that anybody would work for free for fun yeah, or die exactly and like remember when I how fir- they took down that website and everybody lost their video the website's gone <laughs> well I remember ah! a bunch of people lost their content because they just like took it down and they oh. were like can we get those videos and funny or die was like no oh <laughs> shit like, what I haven't, I didn't hear about this. I should check my stuff. I have a lot of videos on it. I mean, maybe I heard wrong, but I was, I was listening to a podcast of two guys who used to make videos for Funny or Die and they were just like, yeah, and we went to go get our videos and they were gone. Oh no. I do know that like that same thing happened with, with Seriously TV. Yeah. Um, I mean, just talk, let's talk about Flash in the Pan. Uh, like. Rest in peace, Quibi, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's I've, I like I've worked for some of those places and it's always you just have to like approach it with a this is for a long time. It's for a good time yeah. sort of mentality because it's great because everyone gets paid while you're doing it. Yes. Even if it's so, a well, little, that's the thing. Like I, I, I was uh, tempted to dance on the grave of Quibi because I mm-hmm. think it's very funny how mismanaged it was from the beginning. But it sucks that. A lot of people lost their jobs, but they were financially compensated. And I'm hoping pretty generously because Mm -hmm. Quibi had an insane amount of capital injected into it. What was ultimately a very stupid, misguided idea. Um, But I I genuinely hope all the funny people who got shows at Quibi got theirs and were paid very well. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, I'm a little hesitant to like celebrate because people thought they had jobs and then they didn't which sucks. I, I will I will say this I'll celebrate Jeffrey Katzenberg looking like an idiot I'll the celebrate fact, that the <laughs> fact that he told people to listen to that troll song from <laughs> that Anna Kendrick movie um is so funny to me and just it's again, psychotic it's so revealing because it's like <laughs> What is wrong with you? How could you think this was a good idea? And then it's like, oh, right. You thought Quibi was a good idea. So you're just <laughs> oh, right. filled you're to the brim with bad <laughs> ideas. Yeah, yeah. And for some reason, people keep throwing billions of dollars at you. This um, is the man that greenlit the the Rachel McAdams. Oh, wait, no. Rachel Brosnahan uh, vehicle with her golden arm. <laughs> oh, my God. That's right. It's yeah. like it. I don't know if you saw like any of the clips from that. I certainly did not pay for Quibi, but I saw like someone screenshotted it and put it on Twitter. And it was literally just like some of the worst writing I've ever seen in my life. And now I'm just shitting on Quibi. I don't know. You know, (laughs) the first moment I was like, uh oh, was when they announced that you couldn't make gifts or take screenshots. Yeah, that's a a deal breaker, baby. (laughs) I was like, do you know how the internet works? Like we are, we communicate visually on this medium. Yeah. Um, and you're actually making it impossible to promote this stupid app. Uh, yeah, very, very revealing. But, uh, this is all to say, this is a long winded way to say, uh, always save your own content Mm -hmm. and don't assume that the platform that you uploaded the video on 
to will be there in like a month. Invest in an external hard drive. (laughs) Get your external hard drive because they will take your content, baby, and then Mm -hmm. you will have nothing for your portfolio. I screenshot every single article I I write, I keep it all for my own portfolio because that shit can disappear overnight. Yeah, I learned that lesson the hard way, not with videos, because usually because I'm, you know, editing the video or whatever, I'll have the files. But with with uh, some writing, some stuff that I've written in the past and the site just goes away and it's like, well, I have the word document, but like no one will believe me if it's not on like the the website, (laughs) like logo, you know, (laughs) And I guess you can use the Wayback Machine, but that only works for so long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess, like, well, I, I want to know your perspective on, like, the uh, like this sort of mentality, like, there's only one ladder or there's only one way to succeed in, you know, this industry, in the entertainment industry. Like, yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. I mean, like, for all of the reasons we've just been talking about where it's Mm -hmm. like, it is very rare that you will reach the top of the ladder that you set out on. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I, I, I think part of the reason that we obsess over those people who do do that is it's so rare. Yeah. Like most people change careers like, what, like a dozen times in mm-hmm. a lifetime? It's it's exceedingly rare that you will die in the career that you started in. Um, but I mean, yeah, it it's I think it's more about. And God, this is going to sound so hippie and woo woo, so I apologize. <laughs> but like. Being positive and putting out good energy and not being a dick to people mm-hmm. and surrounding yourself with good, positive people who want to make dope shit and make you feel good and make you feel supported and saying yes to things within uh, within a limit. Because mm-hmm. I think you can burn out if you're one of these people who's like, you got to just say yes to everything. Say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, no. Say yes to stuff as as long as that feels good. And then when you need to say no to stuff, start saying no to stuff. Um, but like, yeah, I think it's just about being like open and pivoting when you need to pivot. So like, say you really thought you were going to be a stand-up comedian, right? And you're, you're, you're grinding, you're grinding, you're grinding. Uh, years are going by. You really feel like you've hit a wall with it. And then there's like a new opportunity to do something different, whether that's like, I don't know, like something like creative behind the scenes, like uh, producing or writing or something like that. And that wasn't on your original vision board, but it still feels good. And you'd still be like doing something creative. Mm -hmm. Fucking pivot. Yeah. Why? Like, why is there this psychotic grasping of the original plan if the original plan isn't working anymore for you? Yeah, I totally agree. And also, like, when you pivot, if you feel like you don't want to fully let go of the other thing because it is still, like, a thing you're passionate about, you can do two things. Like, yeah, like, that's one of the things that, like, I've kind of learned. Like, I never intended to get so really into stand-up comedy or performing. I started doing uh, improv and performing because I just wanted to get better at directing and writing. So I was like, this will be a tool for me to, like, get a little bit lighter on my feet and think quicker. 
But then I ended up, you know, it, it ended up becoming like such so much more of a of a uh part of my career that like now I'm like, oh, like um uh, I'm a filmmaker and a comedian rather than just like a, a filmmaker who makes a lot of comedy things, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that you make a good point where it's like, um, if that's your true passion and you're like, fuck it, if I never make a dollar from doing this, it's mm-hmm. still worth it. I really, really admire that passion and I would never want to discourage someone. Like, don't give up on your dream is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. But if your goal isn't say like succeed at stand up comedy, but rather it's like succeed as a creative. Yeah. I think it's totally fine to pivot and you shouldn't feel shame or feel like you gave up. And it's, it's just yeah. really important to be like, again, I apologize for being woo woo. Just, just being like open to the universe because man, life will never go as you think it's going to go. <laughs> and yeah. it is going to throw curveball after curveball at you. And things are just easier if you are open to that. And if you try to frame things in the the most positive way you can, which is like, okay, this wasn't part of my original plan, but I still get to be creative. I'm still in this cool community of creatives. And now things look a little different, but I'm still making stuff that hopefully I'm proud of. And that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah. And it's just like, Figure out, like, not every door you knock on is going to be the right door for you, but, like, keep doing it. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, listen, again, so few of us are on 30 under 30 lists. (laughs) There's only 30 spots. Can you tell I hate those lists so much? Um, Yeah, and they're fucking stupid. They're so dumb. Like, the people who get on them hate it. You know, like, it's just, it's embarrassing for everybody. Also, Um, 90% of the time, it's literally just, like, who that one writer who wrote the list is aware of. (laughs) It's so rare. It's so rare to to, um, be on that, like, wunderkind path, you know, like, and I think we, our culture, especially idolizes that way too much. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know what happens to people who become billionaires at 20? They fucking spiral and develop drug addictions and it's bad. It's bad. Like, I don't know why everybody wants to have that like hyperdrive path where it's like, just be steady and committed and be nice to people and treat people with respect. And it's more of a long game, but I'm telling you, it pays off. Like Mm -hmm. the amount of times I've had people in multiple industries be like, thank you for not being a fucking asshole. And I'm like, who are you talking to on a daily basis? Like what's happening? It's like, if you are professional, if you show up on time, if you treat people with respect, that goes a long fucking way. People remember it. And, and they remember it. I've like met people years later where they were like, you were so kind to me when I was an intern. And I'm just like, who is mean to you? I'm going to find those people. I'm going to fucking kill them. Like, what are you doing? Why? Like the yeah. fact that people come in with an attitude where it's like, especially with what we do, I'm like, we are clowns. The <laughs> fact that you come in with a fucking attitude, and you're disrespectful to people like makes me mad. It's like, yeah, we uh, it just makes me mad. But yeah, it, it's so exceedingly rare. Like it really is amazing if you just 
treat people like human beings. They remember. It's truly. And also like the balls it takes for anyone at who is not, you know, honestly, Oprah (laughs) to treat anyone else like that. Like, you don't know. It's the same sort of like fucking thing as like the old saying, like, you better be nice to that nerd because you'll be pumping his gas one day or whatever. Like, yeah. And I know, like, here's the thing. You should treat people like human beings because that is the correct thing to do. Right. You you shouldn't be like, what am I going to get from this kid 20 years from now? You know, (laughs) Uh, that just happens to be a a byproduct of it sometimes. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I like to think that I treat people good because a it's the morally correct thing to do mm-hmm. but then b also it doesn't it just feel better for like yeah. your soul to be nice to people like i and i know you've you've probably i know for sure you have you've met people like this where like the type of toxic person that gets off on having a little bit of status over someone yep. and like shitting all over them i'm like wow you are a toxic fucking person yeah and i guess like the one benefit of that is like it's immediately clear you don't want to be around that person or mm -hmm. work with them in any capacity but like how do you not know that truly everybody hates you it's 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 one of those things like when i see those those types of people like i'm gonna continue to treat them with respect unless they like you know, it's a situation where you like you need to tell someone to fuck off. That's right, one thing. Right. But like if someone is just like kind of a sh- like a shit bag, but not in an actually like terribly problematic way, they just kind of suck and are mean. I will probably continue to treat them with respect. But guess what? I'll stop like asking them to collaborate. I will stop booking them on shows that I host. I will, like I oh, just, yeah. like, I don't want to be associated with you. I don't want my name billed next to yours because like you are bad energy, dude, <laughs> or whatever. It yeah. May be. And I'll, I'll tell you, like that shit always catches up with people like mm-hmm. maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. But, you know, for as many people as like you're quote unquote competing with in this industry, it's like mm-hmm. a very small community. And that shit spreads like wildfire. Like yep. you get a bad reputation way faster than you think you would get one. Everybody talks, everybody gossips because we're all a bunch of fucking gossips <laughs> and everybody knows. So it's like that shit will catch up with you eventually. People won't want to work with you. Yeah. That's why you just got to be nice to everybody. And I know that like I'm <laughs> so aware of how like eye that sounds because it's like, oh, my God. But like, yeah, but it's fucking true. It's fucking true. Just be decent to people. And yeah. like, uh, yeah, it's it's it sounds simple and it is simple. Just don't be a dick. Yeah. Yep. Completely agree. Couldn't agree more. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this has been an, a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. And like. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Ranting so nice about to everything. talk to you. I yeah. know. It's um, nice just like I miss you as my friend. So I'm like, this was nice to just talk with you. I know. I was honestly so excited to be like, wow, I just get to sit down for like now, like an hour and a half. I know. <laughs> just like, I'm like oh shout with Allison. I haven't <laughs> talked to Angela in so long. This is so nice. Oh, I know. This is all we have now is I know. audio only mediums. <laughs> I can only talk to you if you're podcasting. I'm so Sorry. You become like the Greta Garbo of podcasting. <laughs> That's how I like to think of myself. Yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, 
Well, I, I know that everyone can can listen to you on your podcast, Light, Light Trees and News. Um, but is, is there anything else that you want to plug? Oh, my God. I've got nothing going on. Uh, I'm on Twitter. If if you're on the Twitter, just it's my name at Allison Kilkenny. Um, I am a contributing writer for Reductors. Reductus is great. You should read mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah, I think that that's it at the moment. A lot of people have been asking if they can watch my horror short that got into the New York City Web Fest. Yeah. And um, I don't know. But well, uh, I have a Patreon. And if you sign up yeah. on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. Uh, I have all my bonus content over there, including my short, because that's how I raised the money for it. My Patreon. So yes, my lovely supporters. But it's a it's a very short short. It's like 15 minutes and it's spooky. Um, Exciting. If you're if you're into that sort of stuff, which I am. uh, Yeah, maybe that is for you. Awesome. Well, great. I actually haven't seen it yet and i've heard you talk about it a kajillion oh, times and i'm I could gonna just, watch that soon i could just email it to you <laughs> if you're my in real life friend i'll just send you the file <laughs> <laughs> oh god i love it um all right allison this has been a pleasure thank you very much for of course Oh man, Allison, thank you so much for joining me on You Gotta Have a Podcast. Please follow her on Twitter at Allison Kilkenny or on Instagram or anywhere that you see her online, reductress, wherever. She's incredible and she puts in the work. As for me, I'll be back next week and every week for the next five weeks with more episodes to round out season one. And you can follow me on social media at Ange Pal. I'm Angela Palladino, and this has been You Gotta Have a Podcast. Until next time, keep literally throwing spaghetti at the wall and just doing whatever. None of it matters. Everything is random. Life is chaos. Goodbye! Goodbye!